This is Fogland Lighthouse. I'm Jack Dean. It all started with mad Colin Campbell and a mountain called Stuchan Lochen, which, as you can probably guess from the names I just gave you, is in Scotland. In 1590, mad Colin climbed to its peak at 3,150 feet above sea level, the first man in recorded history to reach the top of a Scottish mountain. Before mountaineering equipment was invented, or indeed proper outdoor gear of any kind, the walk must have been incredibly strenuous. But Colin pressed on. Not for science, not for glory, not for self-actualization, but to chase a herd of wild goats off a cliff to fall to their deaths in the lake below. Told you he was mad. Fast forward to the mid-19th century, and the motivations of mountain climbers become a little less murderous, if not necessarily any more sane. It was a time they would call the golden age of mountaineering, when British climbers were the first humans to reach summit after summit in the Alps, to the confused looks of local farmers and the nervous scampering of local goats. This was the age that Hugh Monroe grew up in. On a trip to Stuttgart at the age of 17, he saw those glistening white pinnacles. And as you do when you're a teenager, he fell instantly in love. Now, Hugh wasn't necessarily a guy you'd get on with if you met him in a pub. He was an aristocrat, a Tory candidate for Parliament. He volunteered to fight in the Basuto Gun War, a failed attempt by the Empire to annex the land and steal the culturally important weaponry of a tribe in South Africa, for no other reason than that they were there. He came back with souvenirs, a kidnapped monkey, and a servant he referred to as, quote, a black boy. But after that... Hugh did something that you might find quite relatable. He set himself a ridiculously overambitious personal goal. In his mid-thirties, Hugh joined the newly founded Scottish Mountaineering Club, who tasked him with building a definitive scientific list of the heights, names, locations and best ascension routes of all the mountains in Scotland. Despite this being the tail end of an age of categorisation and cataloguing, when everything was being put into jars and cabinets and spreadsheets, no one had done this before. Hugh started in the Mountaineering Club's library, poring over the Ordnance Survey maps, looking for every peak that was 3,000 feet or more above sea level. He came up with a list of 538, which he published in the club's journal. But he wasn't happy with it. The maps were vague and badly measured, and some didn't even show the peaks of mountains at all. And if you're a mountaineer, the peak is, well, the peak of the whole thing. So there was only one thing for it as far as Hugh was concerned. He would measure the height of all 538 mountains by climbing them himself. He climbed alone, traversing the vast distances between each start point by train or coach journeys that took days and days. Some say he climbed in the middle of the night so he wouldn't cause disruption to his fellow landowners, being a firm opponent of the right to roam, though not enough to keep from indulging in a little roaming himself. This theory may not be true, but that is how I like to picture him, guided by the light of a candle and whatever dim glow the moon and stars shed through gaps in boreal clouds. He climbed steadily, even though his lungs were in poor shape. An attack of pleurisy in his mid-twenties had been the start of a long and difficult decline in his health. He climbed carrying little but a sandwich and an aneroid barometer an ingenious new French gadget that, through giving the exact air pressure at a mountain's peak, would, with a quick bit of maths, give him its height. 
We don't know what drove him, not really. It could have been science or glory or self-actualization. It could have been some Freudian impulse that made him compulsively try and climb away from the abyssal chasm of death. But I wonder if it was just to get a sense of completion, to have fully done all there is to do of a certain thing. Total closure. How often in our lives do we really get that? He climbed and he climbed, and despite the illness, despite the distractions of a hectic government job and a growing family, he was doing it. By 1914, there were just two left to climb. And then the 1914 thing happened. Hugh was too old and sick for the army. He could have ignored the burning world around him and focused on getting those last two in the bag. He must have known he didn't have long left. But to his credit, Hugh didn't do that. He went to Malta with the Red Cross and helped look after the stream of refugees the war was creating. Then he went to France to open a canteen for the troops. Then he caught a chill that became pneumonia. And then he was gone. And the two peaks were left out there. A story unfinished. Except it wasn't. That's the fun thing with history. We get to look at what happens after the closing credits. Hugh was dead, but his list was still alive, calling out, taunting prospective mountaineers to beat its implicit challenge. And one by one, people answered its call. The first completion of all 538 peaks came in 1901, then a trickle of nine more up to World War II, then after it, a rivulet, then a stream, then a torrent. Some did it running, or cycling, or swimming the locks. Some took camper vans between, and some walked the whole exhausting way on foot. Some did it in one sitting over summer, and some, just to keep the stereotype alive that mountain climbers are batshit crazy, did it in the middle of winter. The peaks on the list were named the Munros, and today the grand Valhalla of men and women who've bagged all of them stands 7,000 strong. And thousands more are out there, slowly collecting each limb-aching, foot-blistering, chill-blaining, wind-burning summit for reasons entirely their own. Perhaps for science, or glory, or self-actualization. Or to have a moderately strong opening conversational gambit on a first date. Or just to see a thing properly and utterly Fogland Lighthouse was written, produced, and scored by me, Jack Dean. I got research assistance from Lucy Jane Santos and project management from Plum Grosvenor Stevenson. This season was supported by Arts Council England. The show was presented by Jack Dean and Company. You can find out more about us and our other projects at jackdean.co.uk. Once again, I'm going to plug Vinland, a show about the last Viking expedition to North America, which is on tour in the south of England till the end of February 2022. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, or you can email me on jack at jackdean.co.uk. If you get a moment, please leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or share the podcast with someone you think might like it. Those both help an awful lot. That's it for season one of the show. We'll be looking to drop a bonus episode or two at some point in the future, as well as trying to find the time and money for a second season. So please do stay subscribed and don't go anywhere. It's been genuinely lovely making this. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you guys real soon. Bye.